We want to start with some familiar territory today. You say, why in the world does he keep going over the same verses? Well, hopefully you all got to memorize by now, right? That's what we're looking for, to have these down. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 tells us, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we used to run around with Satan. Say, are you serious? Yeah, you didn't have to join a coven. You didn't have to put a pentagram up on your wall. You didn't have to sacrifice a goat to anybody. You didn't have to do any of those things. But what was amazing is that Satan is so carefully crafted over years and years and years, this world system, that people have just bought in. We know this from the levels of consumerism. All people care about is money. I'm absolutely appalled at our medical system in our country right now. Because all they care about is money, not treating people. We've got problems. you got problems when you got people that want to get on airplanes and get treated other places because they know that American doctors will not treat them well. That's a problem. Understand that that is all part and parcel of the satanic world system. Don't be shocked by that. Don't be surprised. If I say something that offends you, pray about it before you come talk to me, okay? I love you, so I'm only speaking the truth. I promise you. We find ourselves in a very interesting place. In fact, what's interesting about this phrase right here is that this is all that's ever mattered. But God. It's all that's ever mattered. In fact, it's the only thing that ever makes the difference ever. God is the only difference maker ever. If you've ever been someone who's approached a midlife crisis, i got to try new things. I'm going to join the club. Whatever club that might be. The health club? The Elks club? I don't know. The Honorable Order of Buffalo Club? I don't know. The gun club? Did you guys have fun at the gun club? Man, I wanted to go. It's all right. I need to go. Somebody needs to take me shooting sometime. Huh? <laughs> Not shooting at me. <laughs> Just shooting. <laughs> I was actually getting ready to ask you the same question, so it's okay. <laughs> People go out and buy new cars so that it makes them feel alive. People have gotten dull in the things of life. And what's amazing is, is we're often trying to poke holes in this balloon of doubt so that it will eventually deflate. Because we start questioning who we are. We start questioning what we're doing. We start questioning our purpose in life. And the sooner we come to the recognition that but God is the only thing that matters ever, and it's the only cure for that type of situation, otherwise we will waste a lot of money, a lot of time, and we'll break a lot of hearts in doing this. This is the reason why we see a lot of affairs happen throughout America. But God is so important. But God is the difference maker from the satanic system. He has to get involved in does something. He's got to get in there and start working it around in order to bring it back to life. Notice, he's rich in mercy because of his great love. I don't know about you, but I need both of those. With which he loved, past tense, us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were against him, he was for us. That's amazing. I love the list that was read off of all those people. Greedy, addicts, jerks. Did you realize that Jesus died for jerks? Hello, right? I mean, come on. There you go. All of our transgressions. Notice, he made us alive together with Christ. How alive is Christ? That's how alive you are as well. 
with him. And then, of course, remember, he lets the cat out of the bag. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up. That's good. And he seated us. Love it. Where? Right next to Jesus. That's a good place to be. You say, I don't feel like that. That's okay. It's still true of you. If we just accept what God says is true of us, we'll start feeling a different way pretty quickly. We'll get to that later. Why is that? So that, here's the reason. In the ages to come, God wants to do something. He wants to show the surpassing riches of His grace, and He wants to unfold the magnitude of His kindness, and therefore He lifts us up as objects to look at that are going to reflect that type of mercy, kindness, grace, goodness towards us. And why is that? Because the idea that He could take someone who was bound for the lake of fire, give them a brand new life, make them alive in His Son, completely forgive all wrong that is credited to their account, instill His very type of life within them, and then take the Holy Spirit of Himself and place it in them as a Ziploc bag guaranteeing that their deliverance is permanent. That's going to be all the reasons for the halls of eternity to rejoice. Heaven's going to be boring. You haven't thought about it enough. We're not believing what the Scriptures actually have to say. Now, how did this go down? For by grace you have been saved through faith. What's the grace? God's part. What's the faith? Our response. Faith is not a work. It is a response to something that happens. That's what it is. See that? The work went forward. Zach responded. Did everybody see it? You should have seen his face. It was great. I wish we had a camera to show that. Like a cat touching an electric fence. It was good. So notice, all this comes about why. Here's the big point. Because God, being a giver, just wants to gift you something. In fact, not just something. He wants to gift you everything. Now, Here's a great thing. Not a result of works. Anything that you think would be necessary for salvation on your end is not. Save your response to the work that God has done. Why is that? Because if we did that, there is always a correlation between our works and our boasting. Look at what I did! I mean, let's be honest. Isn't it kind of vain to celebrate Father's Day a little bit? Isn't it dads being like, look at what I did? And mom's like, yep, you did it all right. Good job. You know? And you know that's the way it is when they come in like, you'll never believe what your son just did. Right? Not their son. Your son. You know, you didn't get that from me kind of thing. We celebrate that. But here's what's interesting is, moving us to our main focus today. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That's a big deal. Now, I'm, I'm going to open this up since i got all this extra time today. The very first point in Bible study is to observe, observe, observe. And you're asking the question, what do I see in the text in front of me? Now, we just get it alone with this one verse. Is there a whole context? Yes. And I hope that we've done a pretty good job of fleshing out the context over the past few weeks to get to this point. 
But I was amazed at how much time it took me just on the first five words from what I was seeing here. So here's a question for you. What do you see? Shout it out. It's okay. We're in a very large, small group here. I don't see that the text says that at all. Nope, not in there. Next. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, girl. Well, she's like, what just happened? You're too far ahead of us. Back up a little bit. We're his, yes. Back up a little bit. Oh, what? <laughs> what? Four. And four is a, I heard it. Oh. You need a cheeseburger. There we go. Four. Now, here's the question. How does Ephesians 2.10 connect to Ephesians 2.8 and 9? Everybody remember what it said in 7? Essentially, we're trophies of His grace. In the future time, we're going to display the kindness and the goodness of God. Why is that? Because of His grace towards us, we've been saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that we can't boast about it. For, let me explain a little bit more. Everybody remember this? Personal inclusive pronoun. Paul includes himself. English-wise, that's what this is. Paul says this isn't a thing where I'm more saved than you are, or this is a blessing I get and you don't because I'm apostle. Across the board, we all have one big deal in common. Everybody see that? Kate, you okay? Okay, I want to make sure I didn't hurt you. All right, go ahead. What do you see next? For we what? R. Don't pass R. It's only three letters. Don't pass it. R. Does everybody realize that's a time word? Presently. Which means this is true of all believers now. What is it? Oh, I love this because this is a pronoun in there. We are His. We are God's. God claims you. God doesn't just claim you. He owns you. God doesn't just own you. He wanted you. God doesn't just want you. God wants to take you and do something absolutely mind-blowing and marvelous. Notice the correlation between what it told us in 2.7, right? Demonstrating His grace and His kindness towards us in the ages to come. And what exactly He's getting at. Why? Because what we are as Christians on the earth is a small sliver foretaste of this grand display design that's going to be in the coming kingdom time. Everybody see this word? Workmanship. We are His workmanship. Pay attention to that. We are His workmanship. If you were to ever do a word study, you can get into a literal word and you can do it like that. Go back in our library and just nerd out for hours on it or whatever. Workmanship is important to take a look at. And to read what scholars have studied it is to check this out. Why? Because of all the ramifications that it has for how we live in the here and now. Something interesting. Understanding what the word workmanship. Number one, workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's the idea of something that is made or to create something, or that a work that is done. Tom, Tom Dugan, real quick. Does everybody know that this man works with wood? Some of you don't know that. Talk to him. This guy can make some salt and pepper shakers that will blow your mind. Some wood bowls that he has, 
I actually bought a bottle top opener from him. Man, it's amazing. I walked in there and I thought, wow, this is down at the mercantile. I walked in, I was like, this is really amazing stuff. And then there's a little article there and there's Tom like, <laughs> you know, like he's got it up his sleeve. He knows how to start. Does everybody know he made this? Come up and look at this sometime. I said, we're going to get this really cool thing that I'm going to annoy everybody with by marking text all the time. Can I build you something for it? It's amazing. It looks great. That's his workmanship. That's his carefully created, carefully crafted time, thought, put into it, energy poured in to bring about an intentional result. An intentional result that looks great. He actually said to me, I need to come in and take pictures of the pulpit because I want to try to stain it to match as close as possible. I've just been happy with a couple of sawhorses and a board across it. You know? That's kind of where I am on the craftsmanship level, you know? No. He, here's the great thing about a craftsman. They can't settle for less. Everybody know Dave Field? Does everybody know he makes knives? He does. And he doesn't make swords. He's not going on like, you know, the Iron Guy or whatever that show is where they're forged in fire. Yeah, that's what it is. He's not doing that. But he's forging small blades like that, little useful blades that people could have out in the wilderness. He's like, you don't need one of these big Rambo knives to, to, to get at a fish. You just need one of these little ones here. And he's like, show me all this stuff. And I'm like, you're a craftsman. It's amazing. It's great. The idea here is something that has been put into and created. Some of you guys have hobbies like that. But there's more to it than that. It's more than just a crafted, well-intentioned, pour-yourself-into type of idea. We get our English word poem from this. We had a celebration of life for Mark Clark just a few weeks ago. People read some of his poems. Beautiful poems. Well-crafted. Well thought out. Deeply from the heart, you couldn't deny it. That man thinks great things about God. And he tried to find a way to poetically put them down on paper. The Jerusalem Bible translates this as work of art. The Net Bible, his creative work. We says, excuse me, his handiwork. The one I like, that I think probably best captures it, is this one. We are his masterpiece. Because it's not just the idea of fashioning something. You could fashion something and it'd be crude. But you could mold and make and fashion and bend and cool and paint and sand or whatever it is, and you could come out with something that's absolutely beautiful. And that's the intention behind this word. Now what we need to understand about this, probably most importantly, is that this word is in the singular. Anybody want to take a guess what it's talking about? The body of Christ. I'm so mind blown by how many commentaries I'll pick up on this, one right after the other. And it always speaks to the individual and their relationship with God and the fact that they've been crafted into a masterpiece, a workmanship, a work of art, or a created thing of God's hands. That's true. But that's not what Paul means. Paul puts this word in the singular because he's saying the body of Christ is a great time invested, energy poured into, 
amazingly unfolded and planned for result of what God wants to display as a foretaste of what is to come in the future time. He wants the church to be glorious and beautiful. And as far as his end in making it, it is so. In fact, let me say it this way. There's not one thing as a church that we would ever set our minds to, our prayers to, or our efforts to that would not be something that's already been perfectly provided for by God already. He doesn't say, trust me and I'll give you a little bit, and if you trust me a little more, I'll give you a little bit more. No, everything that we would ever need is already fully provided. The difficulty comes is when we're not trusting him for what he's already given. That's the deficiency. The deficiency is never on his part. It's always on ours. Well, if the church is a grand workmanship, it's a masterpiece, how come I don't feel that way about it? We'll deal with that in a second. Let me ask you. I thought this was beautiful. I had to put it up here. What constitutes a masterpiece? I love this photo. Starry night is gorgeous. Down in my little nook in the basement at home, I've actually got a picture of this. I got books covering up about half of it, but I can see like right up here. It's still beautiful, you know. Love that Van Gogh put a church here. Another artist I really love is Mark Chagall. He's a father of cubism in the early teens, 20s. I think he was doing stuff up until the, the early 60s. He was a believer in Christ. Fantastic artwork. What constitutes a masterpiece? Share with me. Anybody here know a poem that you're like, man, it was so gorgeous. I had to memorize I couldn't forget it. By who? Oh, that God is the artist of us? Yes. Okay, there you go. The fact that you have an artist involved, a divine artist, it constitutes the fact that it's a masterpiece. It's a, it's, it's a result of his, his, his idea of expressing what he wants people to know. What do we think is a masterpiece? Why is this hard for us to, to grasp? Jay, what do you think? Okay. It has a large appeal. Give me some specific things. The Hallelujah Chorus is a masterpiece. Handel's Messiah? Yeah? Beethoven, things that he wrote? Larry? Something that, that's great. Something that when you look at it, hear it, read it, whatever you think, good grief, how in the world could you ever improve this? Sistine Chapel. Living Cell. It's interesting. Dr. Seuss. You know what? You laugh at that. But if you laugh at that, you haven't read Green Eggs and Ham out loud lately. Oh, the places you'll go. I read Green Eggs and Ham about once a week. Okay? Who? Who's that? He's an illustrator. The Very Hungry Caterpillar. There you go. That's a classic. See, and notice what we do. We take masterpieces and we connect them to classics. What else? Your child's first picture. Your child's first picture that's still on the refrigerator. You know what's funny? I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to. He doesn't listen to me anyway. It's fine. One of my cousins has his first picture, and it's this. Right? It's great. It's because he was going to the bathroom when it was taken. But what's great about this, like everybody, he's so precious. It's like, yeah, but it wasn't at the time. Right? You're like, cotton time. 
Oh, you're talking about when they draw paintings. Okay? I have that stuff hanging up in my office. How about this one? Hey, hey, mama said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. Oh my gosh, did the preacher just say that? Some people would look at song lyrics as art, masterpieces. Now, regardless of what people have done with music, God was created by music for us to enjoy, so let's not play, okay? There's some things out there that have been written that are just absolutely mind-blowing. Now, the reason why that came to mind is because Zachariah and I said, Dad, sing a song about Mommy. And I was like, I thought, i got to get creative or i got to pull something. So I pulled Led Zeppelin. Anyway, moving on. He thought it was great. He was like, again. I'm like, okay. And then she heard it. That was a different story. Moving on. But we get it. A masterpiece is something that is not easily forgotten. It's something that you have a hard time thinking that this could be improved in any way. It's something that's got this idea of impressing you or impressing upon you. It's something that maybe when you think about if you had to name a masterpiece, you would have to go through the files of your mind because you're wanting to choose the best answer. This is a way that we can connect with the entire idea of what God was trying to do in the church. And this is what he has done in the church. Now here's the interesting thing of how he went about doing it. Where his workmanship, everybody see this word created? New life. In fact, what's interesting about this, people in the Old Testament never had the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Holy Spirit could be upon them, but never within them. Jesus Christ comes and dies. He goes, he says, I'm going to give you a comforter. It's actually better that I go. Now, you know nobody believed that at that time. He said that, and you could hear 11 heads going like this. You could hear it. It's better that I go so that I send him to you. Why? Because there's one Jesus manifested in physical form for them. There's a Holy Spirit that is able to indwell every believer at the same time. And he is called the comforter, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and ministering. And what is promised of him? That he will lead us into all truth. That sounds like an amazing thing. This new life is we are made alive with Christ. When he was raised, we were raised. So the idea of the church, this brand new thing that takes place at Acts chapter 2, and that is when the church is born, is now handling all of life completely differently. Why? Because if you were a Jew and you believed in Jesus, you became part of the church. And if you were a Gentile and you believed in Jesus, you become part of the church. And it didn't matter your background, where you came from, your race, your creed, your language, doesn't matter. You become part of the body of Christ at that moment of responding in faith to Christ. It's his masterpiece that he's creating. And how does he create it? He gives new life. Where is the new life found? In Christ Jesus. We went over this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to give it to you again. Look at this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? Don't answer out loud. But if you are, look what it says. He is a new creature. You're a new creature. Whether you're over 40 or not, you're a new creature. I know what it is. I don't feel like a new creature. It's okay. You are a new creature. The old things passed away. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? But notice it says, behold, new things have come. Now all these things, things, 
Things, things, old things, gone. New things have come. All these things are from who? God. God's doing a brand new thing. T-H-A-N-G. Kentucky Dictionary, check it out. Brand new. Or let's use the let's use the five dollar word for it. He's regenerated a group of people. He's made them alive and given them his life within themselves. Notice it's God, and what did he do? He reconciled us to himself. How did he do that? Same way, through Christ. It's the exact same thing that two, eight, and nine is telling us. So notice the by grace. Through faith, salvation in Christ alone is not just seeding me, giving me eternal life, putting me in heaven, those types of things. God wants to take it deeper. He wants to go more. He wants to unfold more for this world to see. How do we know that? Because if we love one another with the love like he had with the Father before time ever began, by this way all men will know that you are my disciples. How is that? Because we're loving one another with the supernatural love. How do you love one another with the supernatural love? You have to be in Christ for that to happen because only the Spirit can love through you. You cannot love other people that way. God, my hope, John 17, my prayer is that they would be unified just as you and I are one, that they would be one with us. Why? So that the world may know that you have sent me. This oneness that we already have in Christ, this singularity as his body, with him being the head, is supposed to testify as a masterpiece in such a way that the world pauses and takes notice. The problem is is that the world is pausing and taking notice about a lot of things that don't have anything to do with God in particular, but instead it's malpractice of the church. That's my concern. Is that while God has made the masterpiece beautiful, we have either knowingly or unknowingly tarnished it. That's my concern. Starry Night is more difficult to enjoy when I've got all those books covering the bottom layer of it. But if I were to remove all the books out of the way, I can take in all the scope of its beauty. Because nothing is covered, Everything is on full display, and I can spend whatever time I need examining and imprinting in my mind that masterpiece. Now notice not just that. Go back here. We're in there for good works. Now understand this, and let's not get it out of order. The grace of God makes salvation available. Salvation is received by faith. That's the means or the channel by which it comes to us. And it's by faith in the object of Jesus Christ because only His work is perfect before God. He takes our sin, we take His righteousness, born again. There we go. But, we're saved for good works. Not by doing good works. And this passage doesn't say that good works prove that you're really saved. Will a believer have good works? Yes, they will. Think about what constitutes good works in God's frame of mind. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We know this. Anybody sitting in a Beth Moore study for any time knows this, right? Let me ask you the question. Is love always evident? Is joy always evident? Is peace always evident? No. Are good works being done? Yes, but this is the trigger here. Notice that if we're His workmanship, 
and we've been created in Christ Jesus, these good works, God prepared. You know what that tells you? They are God's works. They're not our works. Let me give you an example. Hey, I got a good idea for a ministry. Stop. No. Hey, I think we ought to. No. We need a lot more no in the church. Did you pray about it? Did you bring it before God? Has God so structured your situation around you in order to lead you by the Holy Spirit to conclude that this was what needed to happen? Why? Because you will run the risk that I have hit a million times. You will overcommit yourself in a situation that actually only had a fleshly basis. We have got to stop having good ideas as the church. Why? Because we need to start having God ideas as the church. Is it what God wants? Why? The only works that are pleasing to God are works that are like His. And so we're either doing the good idea and executing that that we had, hoping that God would bless it. Lord, I just pray that you would bless this ministry. Or we step back because we've taken the time to pray, get alone with God, search the Word, ask for His leading, ask for His guidance, ask for Him to set up all the stepping stones in front of us so that we'll know how to move forward in faith. And in doing so, we don't have to necessarily pray for His blessing. Why? Because we have the confidence that we're doing His good works and we know He will bless. That eliminates so much of the struggle And so much of the, Lord, if you would just please do this. If we're doing God's works, He's going to do it. Does everybody see that? If we're doing God's works, He is going to do the work. Why? Because they're His works anyway. And notice this, prepared beforehand. There's a timing word. He's already got it figured out. He's already got the sidewalk paved. He already knows how to get you from start to finish. And it doesn't matter what candy cane forest you got to go through to get there. He's going to take you there. Candyland, anybody? Played it last night. It's fresh on my mind. Okay. Let's talk about masterpiece. That's an interesting. Okay. God has taken the initiative to prepare. Now, remember, we're talking in the singular. We're talking as the church. This is not a situation where I think the Lord's will for my life is this. That's great if it is. And if you've prayed about it, he's impressed upon you what needs to happen. Great, you'll move forward. He brought me to Wisconsin. That had to be God. Why? Because the other option was Orlando. God's really moving, you know. It's like, coming to join you, Elizabeth. Good grief. That's what it boils down to. God's doing the work. And if God is going to prepare everything around it and understand the format of how the church will work together moving forward, remember, it's in the singular. It's not individual. It's the singular. The good works that God has for Grace Bible Church. Why is this? Here's the reason. Why did He do that? Why did He take the time before Grace Bible Church was ever in existence? Before McFarland Road was ever in existence? What was it that God had planned for this particular local body in Portage at that time? that we would walk in them? That He's already prepared them, He's already laid out the sidewalk, and here's what He's asking us to do. Walk. What does the word walk mean? It means the idea of so conduct and structure our lifestyle as to where what He desires in our daily choices moment by moment is the most important thing to this body. Period. That's it. That's it. Moving forward. What is meant by God's good works? 
What's amazing about this is you already know. Everybody, anybody find comfort in that? Maybe not. Okay. Yeah. Just a little bit. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Evangelism. That's the first thing. And what is that? Telling everyone about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the power of the Father. And I've given you numerous lists. When the church is born in Acts, boom! There it goes. In fact, I'll give you this. Whatever they were doing in Acts under the power of the Holy Spirit is not much different than what he's asked Grace Bible Church to do right now. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We're under the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to have our business just as their business in alignment with God. So evangelism is paramount. We need to call them to come to faith in Christ. That is the only way. We need to have those conversations. We need to pray about having those conversations. We need to pray for the clarity to have those conversations, the open doors to have those conversations, the boldness to have those conversations. Recognizing that fear is not of God unless it is a fear of God. But we need to be looking for those conversations. I'm not saying you got to go out and strike up a gospel track with every single person you meet. I'm saying that you need to be sensitive to where the Holy Spirit has already been working on people and being willing to be used as a vessel for His glory to do His work. Why? Because evangelism is definitely God's work. And He wants to use His people to do it. He wants to use His church to do it. And Acts 2 is clear. Now, if evangelism is the first one, what's the second one? Boom! There it is. There you go. And what is that? It's the process of getting God's Word before men and women and encouraging them to trust Him with the daily decisions of life. It is an investment, not an occasion. It is continual. Some people phrase it this way today. It's doing life together. Yes, and much more. Jesus walked around with 12 guys that sometimes make us hang our heads and scratch. What in the world is going on here? You know why he did that? Because 11 of them became the pillars of the church in Acts chapter 2. Because 11 of them were used to set the world on fire with the work that he would accomplish on the cross. And you can't get by with the occasional every two weeks, let's meet for coffee and have some bacon and be done with it. You can't do that. You have got to spend quality time with somebody. You say, I don't know how to do that. Maybe we'll have a sermon on how do you disciple somebody. It's not hard. In fact, the hardest thing about discipling somebody is saying, yes, I will carve this time out of my schedule for other people. If you're willing to do that, everything else will flow. I think the thing that God desires most of the church is their time. Because we're too busy for everything that God wants to do. And His good works cannot be performed if we don't have time for Him. I think that's important. Notice that it's to trust Him. It's not to tell people to do. Well, now that you're saved, you need to do this. Well, no, I still like my Led Zeppelin album. Okay, fine. Let God do the work in changing people. We don't have to call them to task on that. God can do the work. The Spirit is a much better heart changer than I will ever be. So if they have the indwelling spirit and they have a copy of the Word of God, you've got spiritual dynamite. All you have to do, another timing problem, is just wait patiently for the Spirit to work in His time. Why? Because He's growing. Something interesting to see. Just real quick, when you walk out these doors here, uh, somebody pointed it out to me. I can't remember who. Somebody pointed out to me these two trees that we have out here. And if you're looking here at the double doors here and you look to the right, this tree's not grown very much. It was planted a few years ago. hasn't grown very much. It's a little sprouted out a little bit. Then you go over to the other side over here. It's facing the west where the sun is all over the place. 
the one that has more time with the sun grows greater. That's the point. Go out there and look for yourself. I took pictures. I just didn't have time to put it in PowerPoint today. And I was like, this is perfect for what I'm talking about today. I hope I remember to say it. I did. Praise the Lord. So now here's the question. How do we do God's good works? Turn with me to Galatians. Go back just one chapter. Yeah, one uh, book. A couple chapters here. Galatians chapter 5. Please mark this. Galatians 5, 6. Look what it says. In. For in. What's that? This is our location. Are you in Christ Jesus? Well, here's a good thing that you need to know. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Let me say it in the negative for you. Circumcision or uncircumcision counts for nothing. It has no bearing and it doesn't change the game. You say, well, that's kind of weird. I don't know how to identify with this. Well, let me say this. Works to be approved. I've got to do this. I've got to look this way. I've got to subscribe to this. I've got to get on this podcast. I've got to take this up. I've got to get this kind of Bible. <laughs> Stop. No one got holier that way. No one got better that way. No one became more in the image of God that way. No one was whittled more into the image of Christ that way. Do they help you in provoking thought and hopefully reaching your heart? Sure. I'm never going to frown upon trying to grow spiritually like that. But if we think that that is the means to an end, we're completely wrong. What does matter? Very interesting. He doesn't say, but work, believing through love. He brings up faith. You know what that is? Trust. Reading God's Word and simply trusting it. Do I believe what it's told me? Well, I, don't I have to you know, keep God first and obey my mother and father and, and not lie? All those things are really good to do. Understand that. None of those things make you a better Christian. And if you're trying to do them in and of yourself, you are wrong. You can't. Why? Because what happens is you come to the Word of God and you say, how can I conform my flesh and my thinking to what God desires here? The question is wrong. You can't do anything for that. The Spirit does that work. It's simply by taking in what God has said in His Word and saying, Lord, because I know that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and training, correcting, rebuking, all these things, building me up, teaching me in righteousness, all these things, so that I'm thoroughly equipped for every good work, I will believe Your Word. And I'll get it on a little card and I'll try to keep it in front of me so I'll always remember to get it locked in here. Why? Because that Word has to penetrate the heart. And when it penetrates the heart, now it becomes something that the Holy Spirit can use so it has to start with trust and what happens when you trust god he works understand the formula we trust that's our job he works well what works do i do ah whatever springs out of your trust in what he's told you but when you do that because you're believing in the word of god guess what they're no longer your works they're his Why? Because I'm in alignment with the Word of God. But if I'm setting out on my Indiana Jones mission of how I'm going to help polish this person or save this person or do this and all that, you've already got the expedition wrong. It starts by the Word of God convincing us and telling the truth about things that maybe we never realized before. Say, huh, maybe that needs to be in my repertoire. 
Let no coarse jesting proceed out of your mouth. We're going to deal with that when we get into the application part of Ephesians. Might need to think about that a little while. Some of us specialize in four-letter languages. We might want to rethink that one a little bit. Some of us are more colorful in speech. In fact, some of you have slipped in front of me. I'm like, it's okay. Why? I'll be honest with you. It's not my job to convict you. You're not any less saved because of that. But here's what I tell you. You'll be more conformed to the image of Christ if it's convicted your heart. You take a look at that and you go, hmm. That's probably not what God wants to be doing. He's probably not pleased by that. Ah, when you believe that, now you have a foundation for the Spirit to grow you. All of a sudden, you recognize that things become very different. Just one example. Saw some of you wince. It's great. Notice, trust, working through, love. It's got to be a love vertical before it's ever horizontal. It's got to be a love for God and His Word to really embrace it and trust it beforehand. Let me go through this quickly. I had extra time. We're still running out of time. Here we go. Benefits of obedience and good works. Why would we want to do this? Well, here it is. Obedience leads to great rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. That's my first one. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. I know you guys probably think I harp on this subject too much, but I'm telling you, when you get there face-to-face with Jesus, you're going to be glad that you knew what you knew. 2 Corinthians 5. In fact, look at verse 9 real quick. Therefore, we also have as our ambition. I love that word because it's the idea of setting up the crosshairs, making sure that you'll fit the target. Constantly before me and where I'm aiming in life is the idea. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, whether in the body or with the Lord, to be pleasing to Him. Isn't that simple? In other words, all I ever want in every situation that I ever address ever with any relationship that I have or problem that I come across is one thing. I just want to be pleasing to the Lord. That's something that God can work with. Not, I can figure it out. I got a plan. Check out these blueprints. Look how I'm going to work this out. I've dealt with this before. Boy, I remember back in this time when we did this. Stop. Fleshly means will not further God's works. Those are not God's works. And we've got to get rid of this idea of what I'm bringing to the table. I'm asking for everybody to come to a conviction of being blank slates. Not using history on our side to do worldly things that we think God condones. It's not how it works. Notice he says here, verse 10, For we must all, you know who that is? The masterpiece. The masterpiece must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that each one may be recompensed, paid back, For his deeds in the body, according to what he has done. Were they my works or were they God's works? That's when this is going to matter. Look what it says. Whether good or bad. You mean Christians can do bad works? Yes. You know what? Maybe you might want to write next to that, fleshly. Fleshly works. Works that I thought were a good idea in God's name that God wasn't a part of. That might take up too much time in your Bible unless you got large... Large margins. But the word can also be translated worthless. They'll be deemed worthless in the end. Now watch this, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that that's going to happen, and knowing the reverence we need to have when we approach Him in that time, look what it says. We persuade men. Time out. 
Is he saying that he goes to a bunch of lost people and tells them to make sure that they're doing things that are good instead of worthless in their lives? No. Who are the men that are trying to be persuaded? The rest of the church. Because I know that we're all going to have to appear before there, there are some people that are taking this matter a little bit more seriously than others. And because we know that we're all going to have a presentation before him, and it seems to be right here that this is a church-wide presentation. Can you imagine? Grace Bible Church, Portage, Wisconsin. Come on down. You're the next contestants on the judgment seat of Christ. When I was a kid, I watched far less cartoons and a lot more Bob Barker, okay? How would you come on down? Would your shoulders be back? Would your chest be out? Would you be like, yes! We could stand before the Lord and talk about everything that we did in His name. Or, because here's what I do. When, I, when, when I'm teaching you guys on the judgment seat of Christ, I get a lot of this. Why? If we know that the things that we do in life are going to meet a bad reception with our loving, gracious Savior when we come before Him, then what in the world are we doing squandering this time and not making the most of it? We should all be living in such a way with one another as the local body, singular workmanship, to where we can look at each other and go, come on, let's go. Let's do it. We're up. I can't wait till we're up. I can't wait till we're up. I can't wait to get before him and say, you know what? We essentially told this entire world, go to hell. We don't want anything to do with you. We're tired of you. We don't want any of your philosophies. We don't want any of your ways. We don't want any of your works. We're tired of doing things the way that the world has done. All we want is God all the time. God's will. They used to say this back in the 20s, I think it was. God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. That's all we want. All we want. Is that the desire of your heart? Is that the collective desire here? How about the next one? Obedience keeps us in fellowship with God. When you're obeying, you're not sinning. If you want to jot this down, great. Let me read it for you. You can turn there if you like but I'll just read it quickly. I had 13 pages on this, okay? So give me some slack here. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who has my commandments, we know what God wants us to do, and keeps them. You know what that means? That's what I'm all about. That's the way to do it. If you've ever apprenticed somebody in a craft and they decided that they had a better way to do something, and it messed up the assembly line of everything. They weren't keeping with the teaching that they were given. I'm choosing to stray from the teaching for good reasons that make sense to myself. If you have my commandments and you keep them, that's the person who loves me. Be very clear. Love is expressed before God in the form of obedience. Period. There's no way around that. That sounds so harsh. Not if it's God's works that you need to do. He's simply asking you to surrender and trust. Get your hands out of it and trust what he's going to do. Get out of it and let him do it. It's the one who loves me. And he who loves me 
will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You know what that means? We love him, and so we obey him, and we keep his commandments, and they become a repertoire in our church life. And in doing so, Christ takes us deeper. I don't know about you, I would love to go deeper with Christ. I would love to go deeper with Christ with all of you. I would love for all of us to be so deep in Christ we can't see. Because Christ is all we care about. What does Jesus say? Do you have my commandments? Then keep them. If you do, you're demonstrating your love for me. Now whatever that chime was was a fake signal because there's nothing on the clock that says we need to be done here, okay? Obedience brings about a blessing. Just real quick. Abraham was faced with a test. He had to make a hard decision. Sacrifice my son. Hmm, What's amazing is we don't see any griping, complaining, grouchiness, nothing out of him. No arguments, no disputes. No, no, God, I'm not going to do that. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He is silent. He takes his son and he's willing to take a knife to him in order to offer him as a burnt offering. Research burnt offering. That's crazy. It's mind-blowing to me to think about what God would ask that. And God stops him and he says, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will greatly bless you. And he pours out nothing but monumental blessings. Sometimes obedience is hard. Sometimes God's ways don't make any sense. One of the worst things we've ever tried to do is bring our logical, worldly philosophies to God's word and say, see how it all pans out? Stop. God's word is the teacher, not people. So we have got to come back into a different reorientation by the Spirit with what God's Word says. If we obey, blessing comes. The last one here. Obedience keeps communication with God open. Since it's Father's Day, let's turn to this one. 1 Peter 3. You know what, ladies? Just let the fathers turn there. You look off their Bible. And you keep your hand real close around their back there. Because they're getting ready to recoil. Obedience keeps communication open with God. Look at 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, in like manner of what was spoken of about the wives in verses 1-6, through live with your wives in an understanding way. Now some of you are hurting right there. I don't understand what's going on. Well, God's called you to. Okay. Look what it says. As with someone weaker, that's not a bash on ladies. Understand that. We're talking about creation. Okay. Since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. If I'm not respecting my wife, if I'm not honoring her, if I'm not treating her as the weaker vessel, loving her, building her up, serving her, how come I'm not getting an answer from God? How come I'm bringing this to Him and He's not showing me anything? He's not leading me anywhere? Because I'm not obeying. And He refuses to have an audience with me. You think that's not true? Genesis 16 to 17. Read the end of 16 into 17. When Abraham was 86 years old, Ishmael was born. What's the next verse say at the beginning of chapter 17? Now when Abraham was 99 years old, God said, 
You know what that tells you? 13 years, God didn't say a word to Abraham. Why? Because he'd taken matters into his own hands. He worked it out the best way that he thought it ought to go. This is how it's going to look like. God needs a little bit of our help. We just need to get God going. And what happens when we do that? Make no mistake, sin. When God says he's going to do something, we're like, well, let's just get the ball rolling here. Sin. Sin's what happens. Sin what's occurred. And because of that, we lose out on communication with God. My last passage, and then we're done. Thank you for being so patient. Turn to 2 Timothy, please. I want to show you this model. And here's what I'm going to ask of you. If you don't do a quiet time every day, please do one. And as your quiet time, I'm going to ask you just to meditate for the next five days on these two verses. Over and over and over. Rolling it over in your mind. Picking it apart. Dissecting everything. Grab a commentary that might help you a little bit to flesh it out. Whatever it takes. If you have trouble manifesting things for a quiet time, come let me know. I'll help you. I'll give you some pointers to work through that. But I want to share this with you. Watch this. Now remember what we're dealing with real quick. Whoa. Somebody stop that back there? It's okay. It's not. Paul's writing to Timothy. Everybody remember Timothy? Timothy, he pretty much says, this is my son in the faith. Paul loved Timothy probably more than anybody on the face of the earth. And Paul and the Timothy relationship is the model relationship for what it should look like to disciple people next to Jesus discipling the 12. Living life with them, pouring into them, building them up, teaching them everything, taking them everywhere, giving them hands-on training. All of this stuff is fantastic. And look what he says to him. Now in a large house, pause. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, let's label those one, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware. Now pause for a second. Don't don't read any further. Which one would you rather have? Would you rather have gold and silver or would you rather have wood and earthenware? Which one is more useful to you? Which one's going to pay off more? The gold and the silver will. Watch this. And some to honor. That's the gold and silver. And some to dishonor. All of those things are found in the large house. You might actually get home, walk around your house, and you might think, that's pretty valuable, that's pretty valuable, and that's junk. You might. You might realize that maybe something that you have, if it was just tended to properly, could be worth so much more. You might even get on Antiques Roadshow. I don't know. Therefore, I love that summation statement. Since that's the case, if, everybody see the word if? That's a contingency if you choose to, if you want to respond, if you make the choice in this direction. If anyone, look at this, cleanses himself. You know what that means? Personal responsibility. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, what are these things? It's everything that was mentioned in verses 14 through 18. Let's see here. Wrangling about words, having useless speech, Ruining the hearers. Uh, Let me see here. Uh, Not needing to be ashamed because you've handled the word of God well. Avoiding worldly and empty chatter. 
knowing that it will that talk will spread like gangrene. That's a good picture. Going astray from the truth, leading people in lies and deception. Gossip. Getting rid of a sin like that. If you will cleanse yourself from these things, He will be a vessel for honor. Gold and silver. You can go. You can't get a better exchange from this. Listen to me. You're in the church, but if you're wood and earthenware, you can simply go to gold and silver by dealing with your own sin before the Lord. You can actually move from the dishonorable category to the honorable category. Look what it says. Vessel of honor, sanctify. The left side is going to get that. I know it is, but notice it says here. Set apart. Useful. Profitable. You know what that means? To the master. God can actually work with you now. I could have a wheel up here and sit down and ready to do all kinds of crazy pottery stuff. But if no one ever puts a lump of clay in my hands, it will not work. And until we are ready to be the clay that rests in the master's hands so that he can mold us and fashion us into that, it will not work. Chances are we've got to deal with some things in our lives so that we can be the workmanship that He's already created us to be. His side is perfectly done. Our side needs to have reception to that truth. To believe it, and therefore to be used by Him for it. Set apart. Profitable for the Master. Notice what it is. Prepared for what? Good work. Whose good works? God's good works. Not mine. Not a better version of myself. Not a brand new me. Not seven days to a better you. None of that stuff. It is pretty much looking at myself and saying, I will not suffice. My expectations are too high. My expectations are too far in left field. God does it differently. God does it better. So the greatest thing I can do is lay down my arms. God, I believe that you can do this better than I can. And let him arrest me by his grace. Because I will work for it all day long. And I will never even begin to achieve anything near what he does when I simply give it up to him. That's what he wants out of this masterpiece that you see before you. Let's pray and then we'll go fix that light. Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you that we are your masterpiece, your handiwork, your carefully crafted, designed, created, beautiful work of art. Thank you that these are your good works that you desire for us to do, to be about, to be consumed with, because they are the best. You only do the best. You don't do anything halfway. You don't do anything cheaply but you've called us to greater because you've made us greater. I thank you, God, that you've prepared these good works for Grace Bible Church beforehand that we should walk in them. The question is, will we? Father, help us to answer the question today, what type of vessels are we? Are we wood? Are we earthenware? Have we made the mistake of liking that? That we're okay with that being as good as it gets. Or do we recognize that by simply dealing with ourselves truthfully before you and getting out of your way, letting you arrest us, surrender to you, 
that we could begin to do your works because they are your works, not our works. You so desire in your heart of hearts to work with your kids. But do your kids want to work with you? That's a question that we need to answer. So Father, please, may the Spirit work in our hearts and minds. May He reveal to us pockets of unbelief where we haven't trusted Your Word in certain situations. Where we would come to terms with our good ideas and our best intentions and recognize that they are all filthy rags in Your presence. And that we just need to be about Your will. Nothing more, nothing less, but also nothing else. Thank you for how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.